Good morning. We are continuing our Minor Prophets series called Majoring in the Minors, and today we are going to be uh, in the book of Haggai, H-A-G-G-A-I, and it's just two chapters. It's really easy to miss, very hard to find, um, right around Zechariah, just before Zechariah and just after Zephaniah, all right, in between the two Zs. Now, we've been... um, doing this series, and you've been learning about uh, books in the Bible that perhaps you've never heard before. I've been teaching on b- books of the Bible that I've never taught on before, and this is also, this, this one is also a first. And when I prepare, um, it is common that I'll, uh, occasionally I'll get a, a podcast or two of someone who has preached, someone that I respect that has preached a sermon or two on Haggai, and just see some of the things that they were talking about and this one was really funny. It was like, it, I, I only listened to a couple messages, and both of them referred to this book as a bad joke for them. Like, who would ever want to preach a sermon on Haggai? I can't believe I have to do this. I have to teach on Haggai. What is there to say in Haggai? And I just did not find that, though, to be true. What you see in this book is very plain and very clear, and the application is so simple, but you're going to have to open your heart to receive it. And that's exactly what happened to me as I prepared this morning. I'm going to have to preach today, and I mean that in a way that I was not expecting to have to. I hope all of you, I'm going to say some things that this morning that I would not normally say because it's not really in my nature. It's not really in my personality It's not that what I have to say isn't biblical, because it certainly is, but to uh, someone who is defensive, it could come across judgmental. It could come across in a way that um, that you you may may seem as if I'm trying to be polarizing or pointing specific things out. That is not at all what I'm doing this morning, but rather letting this word from a prophet, a post-exilic prophet, speak to us today. It is a confrontational word that we've got to be ready to hear this morning. So because I sense the reverence for this moment and what I I believe the Spirit of God wants to do in us, I need the Spirit of God's help. So will you join me as I begin with a word of prayer this morning? Lord, this is your word. And now, in this moment, I confess that I need your help. I am a man that is in need of a Savior. That as I open up this word, it was was confrontational to me. Caused me and brought me to repentance in in many different facets of my life. Lord, I needed to respond to you, so I believe that there are also others in this congregation that will recognize their need for a Savior and recognize their need to respond to you as well. But Lord, in these moments, we have to let the Word of God be the Word of God, and the Spirit of God bring conviction, bring awareness, bring awakening to each and every one of our lives in such a way that we want to be changed. We can recognize our weaknesses and, and realize that there's this beautiful thing that happens when we realize our need because you quickly meet it and remind us of grace, that you've got us covered, you have our back, but you long that we keep drawing near to you. 
So may that be our heart this morning as we hear your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as I get started, I'm going to give you just a little bit of background information for this one. I use the word post-exilic, okay? That just means, uh, so I've been telling you how this has happened for all of the, for Israel and Judah. They, Israel and Judah had split up into two different kingdoms. Israel was, was went into captivity. That means they were overtaken by Assyria first. That's the northern kingdom. And, sec, and then eventually Babylon was, the, was the, the greater power. And Babylon overtook Judah. And the word exile means they, 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 it was a series of, of basically exilements where they took different people from Israel and moved them into Babylon. And they're basically lowest tier citizens in these nations, oftentimes serving as slaves. But in Babylon, they were given the freedom to have their own schools to have their, and to have their own subculture within Babylon. So in Babylon, the Jews were preserved. And so a few years later, later Medo-Persia became the most predominant empire. So when you read in the book of Haggai, really right away in verse 1, you see King Darius. Um, he is part of that Medo-Persian kingdom. And this is, this is the time period now that we are referencing. It was about 70 to 75 years the Jews were in exile. Uh, when I studied that again, I was surprised it wasn't as long as I w- would have thought. That's all the longer they were in exile. And there was a king before Darius called Cyrus who did some great things. This is a, a pagan king. He's not, he, he's not a Jew by any means, but he was very open to all religions. And he wanted the Jews to go back to Israel and rebuild the temple. He was a spiritual man in that sense that he thought he was very polytheistic. The more gods that we could have, the better. And he wanted the Jews to go back and rebuild. And this was a great thing. This was a blessing from God. God used this man, Cyrus, to allow them this privilege to go back and rebuild the temple. So the temple was the first thing that they went back to rebuild. You see these commissions in Ezra uh, 1, 2 through 4, and Ezra 6, 3 through 5. If you'll put that first one up there, Ezra 1, 2 through 4. It says, this is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. Any of his people among you may go up to Jerusalem and Judah and build the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem, and may their God be with them. And in any locality uh, where survival, I don't have my glasses. What did it say? In any locality where, <laughs> where survivors, thanks, Nick, where, where survivors may now be living, the people are to provide them with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with free will offerings for the temple of God in Jerusalem. And then, again, we have another commission in verse 6, Ezra 6, verse 3 through 5. In the first year of King Cyrus, the king issued a decree concerning the temple of God in Jerusalem. Let the temple be rebuilt, a place to, pre- to present sacrifices, and let its, foundation, let its foundations be laid. It is to be 60 cubits high and 60 cubits wide, with three courses of large stones and one of timbers. The costs are to be paid by the royal treasury, also the gold and silver articles, um, which Nebuchadnezzar took from the temple in Jerusalem and brought to Babylon, are to be returned to their places in the temple in Jerusalem. They are to be deposited in the house of God. Now, I read that to you just because I want you to recognize how much of a blessing this is. This is not a Jewish king saying this. 
This is a, the king of Persia is saying this. He is wanting the Jews to go back and rebuild their nation. And now they're still a bit of a sub-nation. They're still under Medo-Persian rule here, but they're given this privilege to go back to their homeland and rebuild their temple and restore the spiritual life that they had once had after they had been preserved and in exile for 70 to 75 years. But something's different about the Jews now. It just took one generation. Remember the last time I preached to you, or was it two messages ago, I was talking about how they had become very confident in the, 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 the Jews before they went into exile. They had become very confident in themselves. They are the people of God. God would never bring us into judgment. And we, it doesn't even matter how we treat each other. It doesn't matter what we say, what we do. God is for us, and he's against them. And God used Assyria, God used Babylon to judge them. But so what we see, though, now, after 70 to 75 years of exile, these people had been humbled. These people, some were excited to rebuild, but many were just apathetic. They just really didn't care. And they had an opportunity to have their own home, to build their own home. But there was also a commission to first build God's temple. Now, so it was kind of complicated. There was politics going on. Cyrus, after Cyrus, there was three or four different rulers, and there was, they were wondering whether they would have the favor of the kingdom. So the work stalled through political reasons. They had Samaritan opposition while they were there. But the work stalled for a while, and it took them 20 years to build this temple. It just should not have taken that long. And this was not going to be something that was nearly as lustrous as Solomon's temple. This was a new temple. So Haggai comes upon, this is where Haggai comes upon the scene after years and years of watching this project get started and not get finished. And this is where Haggai comes in, and his message is pretty simple. Kingdom priority. So here's what I want to read first in Haggai chapter 1, verses 7 through 10. This is where the, the, the verse that, that mom had read. This is what the Lord Almighty says. We're going to need to, to consider, I've given you the context, and so now you've got to consider the, the, the heart of Haggai and try to get yourselves in the position of the people. All right? He says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin. Now listen to this. While each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. Kingdom priority. First thing I want to talk about is priority first to God. See, the way this story is set up, and it's, I know it's complicated, and I don't try to bore you with all the details. I'm happy to share all these things with you, but, but people are going back to Israel in phases here, okay? And, but Zerubbabel, and this, this we're kind of referring to, there's three different phases, but Zerubbabel was one of the first ones to go back. Now, so there were some people that were highly motivated to do this. You read and Nehemiah was later. He was a later phase. He was highly motivated to rebuild the wall. But this is a season where people were going back 
Some were motivated, but many weren't. But part of that motivation lacked because things got hard. Things got complicated for them. They're going back to a land that there's not a lot of prosperity there anymore. They don't have much. All these people that are building God's temple are relatively poor, but they've also been given the privilege to build their own homes and have their own place. And this is actually what Haggai had to rebuke them for. When things got hard, they quit building, and their priority was no longer to God. They had a comfort-first mentality and they had the mentality to let, my, let me get my house in order first, and then I will come to God. I want you to hear this first and foremost. By the way, your house will never be completely in order. <laughs> it will never happen. There will always be something else to do. There will always be something else to work on. There will always be another project. And see... Church, this is where I have to be transparent with you this morning and tell you what I see. See, in this text, they had many had put their personal interests above God. And I I don't preach this stuff often because I want you to see these things for yourself rather than they come across in any judgmental manner. But as a man of God and someone who studies God's word, and I, I don't intend I just picked a few different prophets to preach out of. This is what the Lord, the word of the Lord says. And let's be very clear on how this context relates directly with what I see. And let's don't kid ourselves what you see too. It happens all the time. I see, let's just talk about church for a second. I see many different reasons why people don't come to church. Some that that occasionally come, some that come often. For many, there's aesthetic work to be done around the home. There's landscaping to do, there's yards to be mowed, there's beautification to be done, and there's work to do that they can do rather than come to church. There's farming to do. There's, there's kids' sports that, are, that, that we have to put first. They don't play that often on Sundays. It's just going to be these next three, four, five months, and then we'll be back in church again on Sunday morning. I've, noticed, I've also noticed that shame can keep people from coming to church. A feeling of guilt or feeling like people know enough about their past and enough about the experience that they've had in life and They just don't feel qualified in some ways. I've noticed sometimes that financial insecurity keeps people from coming because sometimes maybe they don't feel like they they, want to give or they don't feel like that they're in a financial situation where, where they need to be working as much as they can. They just don't feel comfortable enough to be in a setting like this. I've heard many say it's just, you know, honestly, Pastor Birdie, it's just the one day that I get to sleep in. I don't have any other day to sleep in. Sunday is it. For me. And I know oftentimes there's, there's times we take, we take weekends away and, and things of the such. But I want you to understand something this morning. I don't really intend to talk that much about church. But rather, the pattern of lifestyle that is formed when we lose sight of what our priorities are. Now here, let me, so let me ask you an honest question. See, what Haggai had understood is that this, the temple of the Lord was not a priority for them anymore. 
having an occasional incidence, missing a Sunday or two. And I'm saying this, by the way, this is one of the most consistent years we have ever had. (laughs) I'm not preaching a message this morning because I need to, because I feel propelled to, because this is what the word of the Lord says. I opened up Haggai and he's speaking to me and he's speaking to you this morning as well. And so what happens is when we have certain things that we have deemed necessary, that I got to get this done, I have to be at this place, this is more important. When it seems to trump kingdom, a kingdom priority once, there's the, what, the danger, and what I'm truly preaching to you about, is when that becomes a pattern. That whenever this opportunity to get away, whenever, this, that whenever the athletic event happens, it doesn't matter how many times it comes on the cal- calendar, this is now the greater priority for me and my family? That is the honest question that we have to ask ourselves. Is that like a light, an uncomfortable light shining in your life? What really is your idol? What really is the most important thing to you? This is what Haggai had to preach to the Jews. They wanted their comfort. I think I saved that for the conclusion, but I want you to hear that really clear. See, this is all that it was. This is what they were being rebuked for. They were being rebuked for choosing comfort over the kingdom. Come on. I don't know about you, but I do that all the time. I don't want to get up just a little bit earlier to pray. I don't want to stay up just a little bit later to pray. You know, I don't, I'm, I'm just chilling out. I don't want to have to come up with something spiritual to say to my kids and family right now. I'm, I'm a pastor. I have those kind of things. T- I think about those kind of things too. There, are, there will always be things. There will, uh, please hear me out. I understand that there are times you're not going to be here every Sunday. I understand that there's things that are going to come up in your life. And by the way, if you are really sick, please stay the heck away from here on Sunday mornings. I am not getting at your attendance. So let's be really clear. This is not about your attendance. This is about the choices that you are making. And have you made a choice that you've, at some point in your life, the things of God are the most important thing for me. The kingdom of God is the number one priority. And I might have to make some tough decisions at some points. But this is always going to be a priority for me. I, I called Dave and Karen Mays. Uh, they couldn't be here today, and I think it might be better if I, if I share Dave as a great example while he's not here so, he doesn't, um, so it doesn't make him uncomfortable. But Dave and Karen Mays usually sit about right here or right here on Sunday morning. Most of you know, have met them and know who they are by now. Um, what some of you may not know is that the reason that they have come here is because Dave is now on a very serious uh, dialysis program. He gets something uh, at least 10 hour, 10 to 12 hours of dialysis a day. And they have to do that at home. I imagine there's a lot of mornings when Dave wakes up and he just doesn't feel very good. Just doesn't understand and make sense why he would go do this. Now, see, but they've had to make a pragmatic decision that 
They used to attend Eaton Church of the Brethren, but even just the drive over there makes things really tough for them to get back in time to get back on dialysis. So they made the choice to join us every Sunday here at West Alexandria Church of the Brethren. Now, come on, talk about kingdom priority. I may not be able to do that, but I can be here in the presence of the Lord on the Sunday morning, even when I don't feel good, even when it's tough, and even when other people would say, man, why do you still do that? Kingdom priority. Now, you all have those kinds of decisions too. You know, we, I'll be honest, when we take a vacation, if we go away one weekend, I may not go to church on Sunday. Please don't fire me, okay? But oftentimes when we're gone, I usually, if, if it's a couple Sundays a year, I don't really, personally, this is just Brody, I don't feel good about it. So if I'm gone, I'm going to find a place to go somewhere on a Sunday morning and be in the house of the Lord, even when I'm away from all of you, because this is personally important to me. It's not about the congregation. It's about the kingdom of God and the living God that is present. And so again, not about attendance, but the lifestyle pattern that is forming. And so you, man of God, woman of God, have to make a tough decision and ask yourself, is this really first for me? Or if I'm really honest, are there other things that I want more that I still place above the living God? I told you I was going to have to preach this morning. Next one. The priority to grow and build. In Haggai chapter 2, verse 3, Haggai, I'll just read it from here. Haggai 2, verse 3 says, who, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you? Does it not seem to you like nothing? But now be strong, Zerubbabel. He was the governor there. Declares the Lord, be strong, Joshua, son of Josedic, the high priest. Be strong, all of you people of the land, declares the Lord. And here's what he says, these two words, and work. For I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. There's secondly, there's a priority first to God, and the, the commission in Haggai is the priority to build, the priority to build and grow. Here's what he says. He, they, they wanted, they were willing to build. They, they'd quit building and they had quit growing. And they focused on their, own, on their own comforts. And they wanted to build, well, when it was convenient. And Haggai tells us to work, but specifically to do the work of the Lord. And that goes for outside the temple, outside the church, as well as inside the church. We have a responsibility uh, to, be, to be sufficient, but self-sufficient is a good word. I believe in that, of course, but one thing that it often stands in the way is that we can't ever ask for people for help. We are created to work with our own hands, to, to, to create our own provision, but that does not disqualify us from needing help from others from time to time. But we also have a responsibility here in the church, within the church, now, all of you have, are here this morning, so in some ways I'm preaching to the choir. But in many ways, we also have the responsibility of what, even what we do. Right now, as even as you're sitting here, are we listening to the words of God? Are we engaged? And we're going to conclude service in just a few moments. And you might not think this is fair, but when we sing, you have a responsibility to open up your mouth and sing. 
You can do it. I promise you. The, 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 words, are in, the, the, the words are either going to be on the screen, they're going to be in the hymnal. You can open your mouth and sing. And so we have these responsibilities, these priorities to work, to build, to grow. And I, I want to jump to the next one because it's relevant to what I just shared. Finally, we have a priority to the temple. Now, now I'm going to go New Testament on you. So what is the temple of God now in the New Testament? Nick's going to give us a few verses. 1 Corinthians 3.11, it says, For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. That's what they started to do in, in Haggai. They started to build the foundation, but they quit pretty quickly. So the foundation of the New Testament is Jesus Christ. And then as it says in 1 Corinthians 3.16, Don't you know that you yourselves, you, the person sitting next to you, you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? Ephesians 2, 20 through 21 says, Built on the foundation of the, the prophets, apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone, in him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. You're part of something spiritual. You're part of something special. You are the temple of the living God. You are a place of worship. You have a priority to open up your mouth and sing. You have a priority to pray. You have a priority to affirm the living God. You have a priority to be the church. See, the temple represented God's presence here on earth. And Jesus, and, and, and excuse me, the, the word to the prophet Haggai was that the latter temple will be greater than the formal, former. This was an, an open door, a prophecy about the coming Christ and even the dispensation of time that we live in today, that men and women would walk around just like you with the presence of God dwelling on the inside of them. Zerubbabel is significant in Scripture. He was the governor of this time. He's significant because he was the first man to unite the two lineages, the priest and the king. He united those two lines, which was setting up the stage for Jesus to be the true priest, to be the true king for all of us. And you could also add prophet, priest, and king to that. And this same Jesus, this same spirit of the living God dwells on the inside of you and, and me. So the challenge with being the new temple of the living God is as I have been saying as I preach all of these, about all these prophets, so goes the king, so goes the nation. That was an Old Covenant, Old Testament concept. Not anymore. It's you now. <laughs> no one else is going to do this for you. You've got to be the man of God. You've got to be the woman of God. I say it all the time, don't I? You can have as much of God of your life as you want to. In fact, I know what's next. You already do. You are choosing as the temple of God whether you're going to worship, where this is a place where the glory of God dwells, whether it's a place where you open up your mouth and sing, where you open up your mouth and worship, whether it's a place where, as, as Scripture says, where you defy, it has Haggai rebuked, that you defile and find different ways to defile. Or is this temple even 
a priority to you. Maybe somewhere, but six, seven, eight, or nine, once all these other things are under control, then I will be concerned with my walk with the Lord. So I'm going to ask Dad to come forward, and we'll begin to, to have to sing in just a second. But I want to ask you a few questions in conclusion. Is your temple a place of worship? Do you spend more time defiling the temple of God rather than allowing it to be a place where the glory of God is free to dwell? But here might be the toughest one. Have you ceased construction on your temple? Have you ceased to grow? Have you ceased to allow the Lord to convict you, to change you, to transform you, to ask you really tough questions like, really, what are your priorities? What is your real idol in your life? And can we place the Lord first again today? So today we're going to sing. We're going to conclude with a couple of songs and a couple you sung before and one that you know really well. But as we conclude this morning, I want you to have that image in your head. You are, there he is, you are the temple of God. Go ahead, look at the person next to you. Say it to him. You're the temple. Look at him. Right now, do it. You are. This is part your responsibility as well. This is the place now where God dwells. And so, for the, these next few moments, let's make this right here and this right here as a church a place of worship. So we stand as we sing and conclude our message this morning. Tell me one more time about Jesus. All about forgiveness and grace. Tell me one more time about Jesus All about my Savior's face Here comes my old friend, the preacher He's knocking on my front door He's out trying to save all the sinners. He's been here so many times before. I love the easy conversation. Man, that preacher sure can talk. Brings up my need for salvation Even though he knows I'm stubborn to fall Tell me one more time about Jesus All about forgiveness and grace Tell me one more time about Jesus. 
Cause Lord, I need just a little more faith Well, I walk by the church Sunday morning I slipped on in the back row It's sure been a long time coming So tell me, preacher, what I need to know His words were like a cool drink of water He said, sinners, come on down, So I went running for the altar You should have seen my old friend the preacher smile Tell me one more time about Jesus All about forgiveness and grace Tell me one more time about Jesus Cause I long to see my Savior's face Oh, I long to see my Savior's face Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Here is salvation, purchase of God. Of his spirit washed in his blood. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long, perfect submission, perfect delight. Visions of rapture now burst on my side. Angels descending bring from above echoes of mercy, whispers of love. This is my story, this is my song, 
praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Perfect submission, all is at rest. I and my Savior am happy and blessed. Watching and waiting, looking above. Filled with his goodness, lost in his love. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long, praising my Savior all the day long. Maybe seated. As you're seated, I'm going to ask our deacons to come forward as we prepare for communion. This time, I want to encourage everyone to uh, bow your heads and close your eyes in this moment. I love that song as it is one of my favorite hymns. I remember my Bible college president, who he always, he always declared that was his favorite hymn because he, um, he, he just reminded himself of who he was. He couldn't read. He couldn't write. He had one of those stories where his wife taught him how to do all those things, but the book she used to teach him those things was the Bible. And he learned how to fall in love with Jesus and sensed his call to ministry. And so every time he got up and sang that song, he, he sung it with, he had those arms waving with authority as declaring it with foundation. This is my story. This is who I am. And that's exactly what this sacrament, Nick, if you can begin to play that music, that's exactly what this sacrament is. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Here at WACOB, we do this once a month to remind us who we are. We are first his. We are God's temple. We are disciples of Jesus Christ. We are his church. But there's a lot of other things that we, we tend to do in this world. There's a lot of distracting things. Some of those, none of, not all of those distractions are by any means bad, but they are part of the life that we lead. And sometimes we have to come back to center. We have to come back to our foundation and be reminded of who we truly are. So I pray as you're having these moments of reflection, whatever it is in your life, if there is something that you can acknowledge that you have placed as a greater priority. And remember, in the book of Haggai, it was the most simplest thing that I do all the time, so I'm going to assume that you do it too. 
the greater priority was comfort. I just want to be comfortable. I just want to get my rest. I just want to make enough money. I just want to make sure my house is clean. I just want to make sure my yard looks good. I just want to make sure my relationships, I want to make sure I have enough food prepared for everyone. We have so many priorities that just really often have everything to do with comfort. Lord, forgive us for the ways that we place our own comfort above your priority. And for many of us, that looks different. I believe all across this church, there are different things you're speaking to others about. But I pray our response will be, Lord, I want to grow. I need to keep building this temple. And if I'm honest, I think in some ways that maybe I have stopped, but it's time I start picking up the pieces because I know that you're going to restore it and this is the place that your presence dwells. So as you're reflecting, whenever you're ready, as you sense the the unction, you're welcome to come to the middle of of the aisle. And as always, uh, to the left, I'm going to be here to the left. Um, If you would be in need of prayer, would love to have the opportunity to pray with you. Uh, deacons, more deacons, you're allowed. You're also welcome to come over here to this side, and we can bring this to the center. Deacons, if you'd want to come forward and be in prayer for anyone as they're, as they're after they've taken communion, you're welcome to do that as well. And if even you just want to find an altar to come and pray at before or after you partake, you're welcome to do that as well. But as we conclude, let's please make this a time of reverence. We are the people, the, the church of the living God. And in each one of you, you are sons and daughters of the living God, the temple of Christ. And so now, let's partake of communion together. You're invited to come forward.
you join me as we conclude our time of communion with the word of prayer? Your word says, Lord, that you prepared a table before us, even in the presence of our enemies. Even in the midst of challenges, even in the midst of times when we just don't feel good, even in the midst of things that we don't understand. Uh, this is a metaphor that you remind us of who we are. And because who we are is a place where you reside, a place where you long to live, long to dwell. And so you remind us that you are near, that you are present. You are the living God. Thank you, Lord, for these moments where you remind us of who we are. Thank you for these moments when you remind us uh, what must be first in our life. Thank you for opening up our eyes and allowing us to see things different when all we see is obstacles and all we see is challenge. We can have a glimpse and have a moment where we see you and be reminded that you've ultimately got all this under control. Thank you, Lord, for being a God that is present. Thank you for all the grace that you extend to us each and every day. And may it be our heart's call, our heart's cry to keep coming after you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For our authority thought, Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you that we can always trust in you. You are abundant God, and out of your great mercy, you have given us so much. We give this to you this offering today. With it, we worship you and give you our whole selves to you. Please now take it and use it for your kingdom and your glory. Extend and multiply its reach and influence, we pray. May it be a great blessing to many. And I forgot to say, can the ushers come forward? I really did the author's story thought. Well, Lord, we thank you uh, for these gifts. And Lord, now, 
as, as we have given to you be the glory. We thank you that you are a God that is present with us. And as we give, we are reminded of who we are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And for your benediction this morning, may your first priority be to the kingdom of God. May you grow as a Christ follower, and as you build your temple, may you be the place where the glory of God can dwell and reveal himself to the world. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.